Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. You can subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast, at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite download service, and never miss the great content we offer. Hello, and welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Jacqueline Witt, professor of strategy at the U.S. Army War College and an editor for A Better Peace. Thanks for joining us today. I'm pleased to host another episode in our Dusty Shelves series, where we take a closer look at historical documents and artifacts as a way to explore issues of historical and contemporary importance. So today's document is a famous message from October of 1918, and it's a brief dispatch which reads, quote, We are along the road, parallel 276.4. Our artillery is dropping a barrage directly on us. For heaven's sake, stop it. And this message communicates exhaustion, exasperation, and desperation of the lost battalion in the waning days of the First World War. But its method of delivery is one of maybe the more interesting aspects of the document. Uh, it was delivered by a homing pigeon. So today we're going to think more about what the use of pigeons uh, can tell us about the intersection of technology, communication, and war. So I've asked Dr. Frank Blazich uh, to join me in the studio. He has a PhD from The Ohio State University and is the lead curator in military history at the National Museum of American History, which is part of the Smithsonian Institution. So Frank, thanks for coming to War Room. Thank you for having me here. All right, so let's start off with a contextual question. So this this message, which I've used to teach with and which people show all the time um, for different reasons, uh, is, a, is a pretty interesting document. But what do we need to know about uh, the state of communications, technology, and war fighting uh, in order to understand why this document sort of matters? Well, the best way to think about this is to look back at American entry into World War I in April of 1917 one of the big advantages that the U.S. Army possessed was uh, military telephony. With the Signal Corps, and also we think of all the telephone inventors and production capability, that the U.S. Army has some of the best communication equipment in the world, uh, both telephones and also wireless radio communications. But if we think about the king of battle in World War I, of artillery casualties, of, trench, of this kind of static trench warfare, we're using a lot of wired communications. Uh, those wires are extremely vulnerable to both interception or breakage by artillery, by manual means of sappers going in and cutting the lines. Pigeons will thus emerge as one of these seemingly anachronistic but highly useful communication tools. The British and the French in particular in their bloody battles of 1916 at Verdun and the Somme recognized pigeon as the only means to get a communication from the frontline forces to the command posts in the rear. And with American entry in April 17, shortly thereafter, they'll meet with their British and French counterparts and be told, you need to have pigeons. You have to have homing pigeons. And the Army, Pershing hears all of this and says, let's do it. And they decide to go forth with it. And the pigeons, we must remember, are an auxiliary form of communication. Emergency is another term we could use here. For the men of the Lost Battalion and the message of Major Charles Whittlesey, he is cut off and surrounded. They don't have radio, they don't have wireless radios at this point that can communicate with the division headquarters in the rear. His human runners, which Whittlesey typically used because they couldn't, he, the Germans couldn't tap his communications mm -hmm. that way. He wasn't able to get runners out. 
But they did go into what became known as the pocket with eight pigeons, divided into two, two groups of four, carried on the back of his men. And Whittlesey used pigeons to great effect both prior, prior to the Lost Battalion action and continued to do so. And in this case, they were his only means to communicate. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us, I have, I have no idea how homing pigeons sort of work. Can you, can you tell us a, a little bit about how they're used in war to deliver to deliver messages? Sure. The exact science behind how pigeons can home remains somewhat enigmatic, and research continues to this day. There's a lot of competing theories. Some, there is one theory that it's olfactory. Pigeons can actually navigate by smell. Another is it's pure visual acuity and pigeons' memory of locations. Another is that their visual acuity is so great that they actually can see the Earth's magnetic fields and they have a form of magnetoreception that help them navigate. Humans have figured out that pigeons have this ability for millennia to go from A to B mm-hmm. with consistency. The mili- various militaries throughout world history will recognize this. Uh, the pigeon is a means to send a message that you can use them to convey information from A to B. Let's fast forward here in the interest of time. Uh, the Siege of Paris in 1870, pigeons used extensively by the French to get large quantities of information on very early microfilm, or basically microfilm documents that they can photograph in a way and condense that information, send out, are used to great effect. And other militaries are gonna notice this and begin to develop their pigeon services. Army experiments uh, with Colonel Nelson Miles out in Montana in about 1878, but really beyond his experiments, which he finds to be successful, others don't the army just doesn't catch on. How the pigeon's home is essentially this. In the military usage, and I'll use the army's example of the First and Second World War, the pigeons, after they are about four to five weeks old, which they are known as squeakers, that is the technical Mm -hmm. term, the squeakers are relocated from the breeding lofts, pulled from the parents, and put into what is called a mobile loft. And the mobile loft is essentially a pigeon RV. It's a cage or, or loft on wheels. And that is going to become the home, the literal and figurative home. We could say home barracks, if you will. And what, the, what we do is the pigeons are taught to, with very, to short distances to long distances that the home is where your mate is or companionship. Home is also where food is. So what you're doing is you're trying to train the bird to always come back to, to, that, to, to food that place. And, to bid it in crude terms, food and sex. That being said, with this being recognized, the Army can then train birds to begin to home for shorter distances, say 10 miles, then 20, then 30, 40. During World War II, they're going to be able to have pigeons homing hundreds of miles. That's, I, that's, that's, I mean, that's amazing. Like, and in some level, I don't really care how they do it, but the fact that we know that they can do it uh, is, is maybe the, the thing that matters for the use of the technology. It is. And the, and the thing that's also people ask about data transmission speed. The pigeons in World War One are maybe flying, it varies, but we'll say on an average of 30 to maybe 40 miles an hour. Uh, current racing pigeons can average well over 60 miles Wait, an hour. There are racing pigeons? Race, pigeon racing is a still a worldwide uh, sport. Uh, it's ex- Belgium remains really the, the, the home. Uh, the, 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 the finest birds in the world are Belgian. And uh, the Germans will, will know this, and the Germans use captured Belgian pigeons to great effect in the First mm-hmm. and Second World War. But pigeons today can fly, the, they have burst speeds of approaching 100 miles an hour, and pigeons can average, good racing birds will average about 60 miles an hour. So they're homing, and they're homing over greater distances, 
and at greater speeds than ever before. And so the Lost Battalion said has eight they have pigeons, eight. two groups of four yes. with them um, when they're there. And so so Major Whittlesley is, is using the pigeons as a, as a way to get messages out when, when he's cut off. And he uses them very effectively. They're, of the eight birds, seven will carry messages. The, the famous last incident, the message you started off with, there were two, pit, there were two remaining pigeons there being shelled by friendly fire. About 3 p.m. Whittlesey, or 3, 3.15 p.m., Whittlesey calls for the, his pigeoneer. I think it's Omer Richards is his name. Richards comes over, and the kind of madness of the moment when he reaches into the basket to pull out the bird, the one bird is startled and breaks free of his grip and flies away. According to the records, Whittlesey uttered a, quote, uncharacteristically rude mm. word, which we'll say it's darn Thinking right. of the, the the polite language of the message, for heaven's sakes, stop it! Stop yeah. it! And as a result, the the last bird they're able to, I'm sure Richards had a firm grip on that pigeon, put the pigeon out. They attach the the messages on very thin paper. It's rolled up, put in a little aluminum capsule. Then the metal prongs are bent around the bird's leg. They release the pigeon, and it gloriously flew up and landed in a tree. So it didn't and stayed do there. what it was. It didn't exactly home. It started preening and. Whittlesey and others, uh, the, the soldiers see the pigeon, they recognize the intensity of the situation. They are throwing rocks at the bird, I'm sure uttering other mm-hmm. uncharacteristically rude words at the bird. Uh, and the bird then climbs higher up in the tree and kind of flies from the one branch to another. Richards gets out of his funk hole, to use the correct terminology, goes kind of down this slope right there by the Charlevoix, the Bitterville Road, climbs the tree, all this while artillery is falling, and shakes the tree to finally knock the bird free. And mm. the bird at that point will climbs up and circles to orient itself and then takes off. One soldier reported then seeing a shell burst go off beneath the pigeon, which staggered the bird and the bird fluttered down and fell to the bottom of the ravine, just south of the position of the Lost Battalion. What we do know is about roughly an hour after the bird is released, it does return back to what I believe to be mobile loft number 11 under the command of then I think Sergeant Ernest P. Cockler, coincidentally a two-time Olympic athlete, bicyclist, and Cockler, upon examining the bird, finds that its right leg has been shot through and the message capsule is literally hanging to the, the remaining tendons and ligaments, and the bird had a nasty crease across its chest. Either shrapnel or a bullet punched clean through the breastbone. When the, when the bird returns to the loft and Sergeant Cockler is examining the bird and he finds these grievous injuries, the more important thing is the bird did return despite those injuries and the messages retrieved and relayed at that point they would have used telephones so there you can use wired communications behind the line mm-hmm. and the message is then relayed to the headquarters the, the the key element though is that the shelling by the time the bird had returned the shelling had ceased but the key element of that message is i think it's what it's 276.4 it's the exact map coordinates where there was some doubt about that before the pigeon's real value is not in the shelling, it's in the following day when a friendly barrage, a walking barrage is again brought down to try and attack the Germans that have surrounded the Lost Battalion. It begins roll, creeping forward and the men are going, oh God, we're going to get killed again. The barrage suddenly stops, leapfrogs the American position exactly and hits the Germans. Are. And that's when the men knew, aha, the pigeon made it through. They know finally where we were. And that's a that's really that critical piece of information. 
So I think this this gets us to lots of questions about uh, the the utility of, of pigeons and the, the significance of, of communication in in war um, more specifically. So, but bef- before we sort of talk about the the implications, let's let's sort of finish the the pigeon story, which which subsides in the second the Second World War primarily. So, uh, like you said, 18, 1870, the French. So siege, yeah, siege of siege Paris, of Paris about 1870, yeah, the use of pigeons. Significantly, we see significant use in World War One, and then some in World War Two. How and when does the sort of use of, of homing pigeons subside within within armies? Okay, well, for the American pigeon, the American army pigeon experience, World War Two it dwarfs the size and scale of pigeons and how they were used in the First World War. Uh, we're we're going from say roughly nine officers and 324 men overseas with the AEF and maybe maybe up to, say, 10,000 birds. In the Second World War, you're looking at thousands of personnel and tens of thousands to 100,000 mm-hmm. pigeons, not just in the Army, but the Army Air Forces has a large pigeon force. Uh, the Navy is going to use pigeons. I believe the Marine Corps, but I'm not 100% sure, so don't count me on that. But pigeons will see service in all theaters of the war and very, and are very successful and uh, are used right up until the end, and the pigeon service is retained post-war. During Korea, a small group of pigeoneers are sent over, and pigeons are used, but the birds are not used as well. It's not as big an effort. It's considerably smaller, and interest wanes. Communications are improving. Transistors are going to be invented, Mm -hmm. and electronics are both going to shrink in size and weight. Battery technology is going to improve and the reliability, people are saying, well, why do we still need these emergency communications or this kind of auxiliary communication ability of pigeons? Uh, the decision will be made in late 1956 to disband the pigeon service at Fort Monmouth, New Jersey in early 57. And the last hero birds of World War II were sent to American zoos, in fact. But the story doesn't end for the United States. During the Vietnam War, there are some units, individual units on their own initiative that will obtain pigeons and literally write back to the United States asking for information and will establish very tiny, unofficial homing pigeon services, mostly to just transmit information. If they're moving large files of any sort, they can microfilm them, send them on the pigeon, and it's faster and quicker uh, than sending a runner or driving a vehicle from one base to another. Mm -hmm. So they're using pigeons in that capacity for kind of bulk communications. The, apparently the South Vietnamese Air Force had a small pigeon force, but I haven't been able to locate much information about that. And there were some suggestions that the special operations community might wish to use pigeons, particularly with the long-range reconnaissance patrols, uh, because of, again, with the rise of electronic communications, jamming becomes a distinct capability, and you're, revealing, there's provi- you're providing no electromagnetic signature if you're using mm-hmm. a pigeon. Yeah, so this this gets us, I think, to a to a question about sort of contemporary um, potential uses or rethinking about why pigeons or other sort of forms of emergency or auxiliary communication might be important. Certainly today, um, electronics matter a lot on the battlefield. Um, communications are primarily wireless. Uh, we've got lots lots of whiz bang stuff um, that we can use but when that stuff doesn't work or if an adversary or an enemy is jamming tampering with it what happens are we still able to communicate 
um, with friendly forces, um, with headquarters, et cetera. So are there, are there lessons that we might learn in this era of electronic warfare and sort of future battlefield? Um, do, we may, do we need to reinstate a pigeon force? Well, I would argue absolutely yes. The Army should consider perhaps establishing a very small pigeon detachment, if you will. The logic is, as you mentioned, with the rise of electronic communications, uh, the electromagnetic spectrum is becoming a new theater of warfare. We've already seen both the People's Liberation Army in China as well as the Russian Federation's armed forces have a robust and capable uh, electronic warfare community. Uh, particularly the fighting in the Donbass region and Ukraine, we have seen how the Russian Federation is, is really controlling the electromagnetic spectrum and by default, to some extent, are dictating the actions of their opposition. If a soldier uses their cell phone inadvertently and decides to tweet uh, a, about a podcast, perhaps, maybe a War College podcast, uh, take a selfie. They're probably listening, I'm probably sure. listening in. This can then be tracked. It can be intercepted. It can be triangulated. You can call on artillery mm -hmm. strikes or others. If you use a pigeon, you're emitting no electromagnetic signature. And the other thing we think of with, say, information warfare today is volume, the sheer volume of data that can be generated, voice, video, uh, documentary, any number, any format of data can be generated and immense, immense volumes of it. The fascinating thing, pigeons, of course, cannot carry great amounts of weight, but they, they can travel about six or 700 miles a day. And memory now has shrunk to such an extent that you they do exist. You can get a one terabyte micro SD memory card. This weighs roughly half a gram. By comparison, a penny weighs 2.5 grams. A pigeon, and they have done experiments on this, uh, can move about 10 to 15 grams without really having to change its metabolic rate uh, to affect its conditioning. Mm -hmm. And that's important if you're going to use a small amount of birds for repeated trips. So this is like Monty Python, like African swallows. And this is very much like, so. But what it comes down math. to is a pigeon could potentially transfer 10 to 20, maybe more, terabytes of data with no electromagnetic signature whatsoever, faster than can be currently transmitted electronically by the United States military. As I said, there's no electromagnetic signature. You can encrypt the data cards uh, so that that data cannot be, if, it's, if, say, the pigeon is intercepted, cannot be then acquired and, and decrypted and used. For comparison, Hubble Space Telescope generates, I think, something like 10 terabytes of data annually. A pigeon could move that amount of data faster than Hubble could transmit it, I think, back mm -hmm. to Earth from space. So I think that's a, I mean, that's a pretty compelling case for the, the potential utility of, of, of homing pigeons in, in, a, in war and in a combat in a contested environment. Um, what are, are, there, are there challenges or vulnerabilities? What, what, are, the, what are the problems with, with that argument? People are going to say, well, you can just shoot the pigeon down. Uh, the problem is the pigeons, the, the only two times you can really hit a pigeon are much like aircraft, takeoff and landings are the most <laughs> vulnerable times. For, and that is true for pigeons. Pigeons don't tip, they will not, they typically do not fly at night. They don't like flying over large bodies of water. And this has been observed for well over a century. You can train them to overcome some of these fears. They, they have been able to train pigeons to fly at dusk and at night, but typically they don't. They're, in your flying community term, they're VFR assets. They're not IFR rated. 
But at the same token, pigeons have demonstrated they have an endurance to them. They can be grievously wounded and continue mm -hmm. to operate. They do require very specialized training. And the U.S. Army's experience with pigeons is they went straight to the civilian community and would commission or enlist men right out of right out of the civilian ranks who had quote specialized pigeon knowledge because it's not something that you can easily train someone to do the upside however is the pigeons are very cheap compared to other assets a pigeon is a very affordable tool of war if you will uh, is a piece of communications equipment uh, they work for feed mm -hmm. <laughs> they work for fresh water so you're not asking from a logistics standpoint. And they standpoint. probably don't. They certainly don't eat as much as horses or no, humans. No, no, no. A lot less, fo lot less fodder, so to speak. But so pigeons, you don't also need a large number of people to maintain a large number of pigeons. The biggest challenge, if anything, is distribution and just putting in place the the system to distribute the birds in the field. Therein too, modern equipment. It's possible to do this again at a very low cost. The key thing people must remember is homing pigeons are not a pigeon off a street. These are essentially equivalent to a thoroughbred racehorse. They have, uh, if we want to quote for the amusement of listeners, uh, I think Rambo 4, these are, these are animals born into war. <laughs> it's in their blood. This is what they're bred to do. They are bred to fly faster, higher, and more efficiently than a normal pigeon. Okay. So I think, I mean, this is, this is, I, I think this is all really fascinating stuff. And so this gets me maybe to my to my last question, which is um, why are we so fascinated and interested by pigeons? You uh, recently wrote a, a piece in, in War on the Rocks. We'll, we'll f forgive you for not submitting it to to War Room, but um, and it, it generated a lot of a lot of interest. And when you talk about pigeons, you say like people people want to know more. So what is it about pigeons or maybe animals more broadly that, that so, sort of fascinates us and draws us to the topic? I think there's a ubiquitous, pigeons as we've noticed are everywhere. They, they have a, a ubiquitous nature in society, in urban life. You can find them pretty much anywhere but the Arctic and Antarctica. Uh, they're, they're, they're hardy birds and they're, they're able, they have bonded with humans. And you see that in just, at least in Judeo-Christian history, so to speak, the pigeons are always there. They bring the message to Noah. The pigeon is, by definition, a rock dove. Uh, they're, a scene of, they're, they're a symbol of fertility, uh, but at the same token, we view them as vermin in a lot of an cities, too. Yeah. And an annoyance. You know, and, and they spy people's cars, and they prepare you know, strategic bombing missions to, a, <laughs> or I guess tactical airstrikes. It depends on one's perspective. But that human-animal pairing and that human-animal bonding, if someone is, say, unfamiliar to either military history or the military environment, they can relate to animals because they interact with animals on, we all do on a daily basis. We may not may or may not be cognizant of it, but we do. And I think from that aspect, people might look as a pigeon to think that the same annoyance could also be my savior. That weird dichotomy, I think, captures mm -hmm. public imagination. And in the military, certainly, pigeons were not, they, they were not disrespected. The pigeons were treated with very high regard by the military. Uh, some were have been treated as heroes. Uh, they were making news that you can find newspaper articles when they died, highlighting their accomplishments in the service. So the pigeons were much like military working dogs are today. They are treated as a comrade in arms mm -hmm. and all the rights and privileges associated therein are also associated with our little feathered comrades. Very good. 
So, Frank, thanks so much for coming and talking with us about homing pigeons and the questions about technology and warfare and, and communication and how we might understand that. Um, again, using this, this one sort of document as a, as a starting point, um, but opening up all sorts of important questions for contemporary military strategists and planners, uh, as well as historical uh, buffs. Thank you very much, Jackie, and thank you for having me. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.